Yo, it's your man Chris Mallon, and you're listening to Heart of the Game. Welcome back to the second part of our interview with Mark Gullick as he continues to share his incredible experiences of working in professional sports. If there's one thing that really sticks out in your mind as just the wow moment for you working in sports, what is it? Well, I'll give you, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a positive and a negative. How about that? And the, and the negative is not really a negative. So when I was with the Tampa Bay Lightning um, and bobbleheads became the rage and global, um, Alexander Global controlled out of Seattle controlled really the bobblehead business, right? And bobbleheads became hot again in the early 2000s. And Malcolm Alexander owned Global, <clears throat> Alexander Global. So that's where everybody ordered their bobbleheads from. So after a couple of years and bobbleheads were hot and we would do a series and fans loved to collect them. So it always drove attendance. You know, it was a pain during for, you know, fan ingress during distribution. Um, but, but after like two years, Malcolm changed <laughs> the, his formula slightly. So he made them a little bit smaller. They came in bigger boxes. You know, he was trying to cut his mm. margins a little bit, improve his margins. So we were doing like a three-year series. So the new bobbleheads came in. And as you do, you send around, once they come in, you send them to all the executives. So they all have them in advance. I get called in the CEO's office. And as I'm walking down the hall to his office, I hear him screaming. <clears throat> He's got a really long office. I walk in the walk in the door and I hear him just screaming. And he slams the phone down. And he's screaming, the bobbleheads next are too short. And I'm like, excuse me? The bobbleheads next are too short and thin. The team president just called and he's upset. And he's just screaming, yelling at me. So I just, I start to walk to the door. Like, I'm just, I'm just going to walk away, right? Yeah. I walk to the door. And as I walk to the door, this bobblehead thrown from 25 feet away crashes into the wall. There's a <laughs> hole in the wall. Oh, so he actually threw the bobblehead, quote, in my direction. <laughs> <laughs> and I like scrambled back to my office. Um, it's since become a, a long time joke. So I would say that was like my scariest point. Like we were all talking later with the beer going, you're really in trouble because the bobbleheads necks are too skinny. Um, so that was like a shock of my uh, career. You know, I'll say the next one was, you know, the night in 2004 when we won the Stanley Cup. You know, we were not expected to win the Stanley Cup, the Tampa Bay Lightning of all teams. You know, and it, it was, a you know, that last series, it, it was tough. It worked tough, you know, getting everybody going for every game, you know, operating at 120% and turning commemorative tickets around in, in 16 hours and, you know, advertising around in five or six hours. I mean, you know, you were, you were working 18, 20 hours a day, literally for a couple of weeks. And, and, and it was tough, you know, at the time I had a young son. Um, but that night, you know, with 15, 20 seconds to go when you're in the stands with your family and you realize, holy crap, we're going to win the Stanley Cup. 
And I, I still have videos that day that friends took of you know my family hugging in the stands and I, I'm a grown man and I was crying. I mean, I got to run out and go back to work and plan a parade. But I mean, I was crying. We didn't think we were going to win. That was probably the biggest moment in my career because you don't think you're going to win the championship. You know, you're there, you know, went to game seven and we won the Stanley Cup at home. And, and that was just like, I mean, my son's crying. He had his hair painted blue for the Tempe Lightning. You know, and we went outside and, you know, we had a beer with everybody. And my phone's ringing, you know, saying, here's the party. But by the way, you got to be back for a meeting at eight o'clock in the morning with the mayor to plan the parade. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, get home at six in the morning, take a shower, drink a cup of coffee and, you know, back to the office, you know, to meet to plan the parade. So I just got chills. Uh, you sharing that story because uh, as anyone that works in sports can relate to and, and people that uh, aspire to work in sports will one day figure out is that there's a lot of blood, sweat, and sacrifice that goes into working in sports. And uh, you're working daily as a grind. There's no nine to five. And when you, I was never able to work on a, a championship team, but to have that kind of level of experience and getting to that level for the winning team and to come to this fruition where you've got the ultimate success and you were a part of that, that's really cool. That's really something well, special. Well, Chris, as you know, I mean, you worked six, seven days a week, you know, 10 hour days, 12 hour days, sometimes 18 hour days on game days. I mean, you yeah. can work a game day and you're in at eight and you, you don't leave work till 11 o'clock at night and you're back at work at eight in the morning. I mean, it's, it's a tough grind. I mean, that yeah. is sports, that is sports and you hope to win the championship. And some teams do and some teams don't, but you, you do it for the, you know, the love of the game or the love of your job, the love of marketing. You yeah. know, when I first got into hockey, I didn't love hockey. I love hockey now. Yeah. You know, I yeah. love hockey now, but it's like, when I got into it, it was a challenge of marketing, you know, as a marketing professional, it's like, okay. So if there was something that really stands out for you, uh, as being a big personality, you know, athlete or somebody that you worked with. Is there, is there a story that you could share with us from a, a big personality that you met in sports? You know, I, I would say there's a couple of them. I mean, I mentioned this, the Seam Stamkos campaign. I mean, after we ran that campaign and, you know, Stephen came to town, he was 18 years old, by the way. It just been the number one Jeez. draft and he was 18 years old. Um, went to his, his hotel and I picked him up and I actually brought my 12 year old son, which everybody thought was interesting because I was taking Steven on a media tour that day. And I figured Steven and my son, him being 18, my son was 12 or 13 at the time, could sit in the back of the limo and play video games. And he would relate to my son much more than me, <laughs> <laughs> which, which he, which he did. And I think, you know, Stephen was just an amazing young man. His parents are unbelievable. Um, you know, that was an amazing experience having gone through the whole scene Stamkos campaign and what he was expected to live up to. And even though we made no, we were, we made no performance promises. We were just showing past performance. And as they say in investments, 
past performance doesn't equal, you know, future gains. Um, so we were just showing what he had done, you know, in Canadian world hockey. Um, so I think he was amazing. We, we had a little short little campaign with Lou Williams at the 76ers, the show you love campaign. If you remember yeah. that. Yeah. I remember that. And that was so organic. I mean, that was very organic, authentic, you know, it was Lou doing that hand gesture at the end. And, and he, we asked him what it was about. And he's like, that's show you love Philly. You know, we came up with all those window posters, show you love South Jersey, show you love South Philly, show you love Passion, you know, and, and that was sort of an organic fun thing. It was short lived, but, you know, today I still see people posting those posters, you know, and that was based off something very organic that Lou did that was fan based and he was just such an outstanding person. Mm hmm. Yeah, I, I always really appreciated the different personalities that I worked with in sports more so than anything. Uh, I was fortunate to have a lot of autographed memorabilia, but the only thing that I display in my house is a basketball that is signed by a lot of the coworkers that I had at the time when I left the 76ers. And to me, that's my most cherished item that I have um, because the people that I worked with were the real stars for me. I mean, cause you spend so many hours with people when you're working in sports, they kind of become like a second family to you. Uh, so that, that was, was the big thing for me. Um, That's what it's all about. You got to love yeah. the people you work with. You got to hire great people and you got to hire people that have the potential. And sometimes it's like, okay, I just really want to work with this person. Like this is a nice person, mm -hmm. right? And they have great potential. The other person may have a little bit more experience, but it's like, I don't want to spend 18 hours a day with that person. Mm -hmm. does, does that make sense? And yeah. I, I'm just being, I'm just being real and honest. Like you were, you were like one of the nice, and, and I'm not saying this because I would say this, whether we're talking right now or, and I've told you before, you were one of the best people I ever worked with. You were just a great person. And it's like, you were so willing to learn and you learned a lot and I could trust you. Uh, Mark, you know, one of the things I wanted to share too, since you shared a story earlier about, um, about a, a Chris Mallon story, I'll, I'll share a, a Mark Gullett story. So, and I've got, uh, I've also got my, 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 uh, my, one of my best moments of my sports career and one of my worst moments of my sports career. So uh, oh, no. my first year with the 76ers, I really wanted to impress my bosses, which was Shana Booker and Mark Gullett. And, you know, I was working hard, working hard, and I didn't want to fail at anything, anything. Um, we're in the playoffs and Mark says, Chris, get rally towels. So I order these rally towels and it's a damn good thing that I kept the original, the, uh, the, um, what's the word I'm looking for? The, the prototype, the prototype of the, of the towel. And I kept that on my desk with stapled to the card, stapled to the, the, the rally towel, the sales reps business card. Uh, so it was, it was perfect for me on that, to defend myself, but these rally towels showed up late and when they showed up, I think it was a day or two before the playoff game, uh, they were not the same quality of towels that I was led to believe we were going to have. So game time starts. <laughs> These towels 
they were the biggest piece of junk. Fans are swinging them over their head, and it's just lint, just all over the place, <laughs> on the floor of the court. I'm thinking, man, a player's going to slip and break his leg in a playoff game, and I'm going to be on ESPN for the idiot that bought these rally towels and lost his job. I remember you walking in the back there, cussing up a storm, you know, going grabbing sales reps, going through the rally towels. Let's get the bad ones out of here. Let's get the good ones. And, and, uh, and then, and then Chris, what the hell happened? But fortunately I had that prototype and you called that rep up and you said, you guys are going to fix this. You're going to overnight these towels. So that was one of my scariest moments in sports. Cause I was like, here, here it is. I, I just got fired. Uh, hey, so- number one, number one, always back your employees, right? Always yeah. back your employees. No, you know what? That's a good point. Cause I did really appreciate that, that you took my back there. Like I explained what happened and, and you took my back. So no, I had not to interrupt you. I had, I had to fire an employee one time because he wasn't my employee. He was working for an employee of a manager of mine and he spelled the player's name wrong on opening night. Oh, and it was like, what was the quality assurance? Who double checked that that new guy knew how to spell the name of Cavier's last name? Yeah. You know, and I get a call saying, I got to go let somebody go. And it's like, uh, somebody should have told him how to spell the guy's name right, or somebody should have double checked his work. So, yeah. for example, in your case, I, and I do remember that the rally towels <laughs> weaving and it's like white buzz yeah. in the air. Oh, but it's like, you know, it, it it wasn't your it wasn't your mistake. Yeah. And and even if it was, mistakes happen, right? Yeah. yeah. I'm not. I'm. I'm definitely not perfect. Nobody's perfect. Yeah. So go ahead. Number number two. Okay, so number two, I was not a part of the legwork to set this up, but Wilt Chamberlain's 50th anniversary of his 100-point game, there was a court that that happened on, and it wasn't in Philadelphia. A lot of people don't know that. It was in Hershey, Pennsylvania. So you handed me a check along with, I think it was Laura Price, and you said, don't open the check. You're going to Hershey with Jerry Rizzo, who was our social media guy at the time with the Sixers, and Matt Cord, who was the announcer. And you're going to go buy this court, put it in a truck and bring it back to Philly. And we're going to cut out. We're going to do a whole giveaway for it. So I'm thinking, man, Wilt Chamberlain. I remember reading Wilt the Stilt books when I was a kid. And we went out to, we went out there and in this dungy, dark warehouse with holes in the ceiling and tarps all over the place, spiders, all probably snakes all over the place. We bought the court shipped it back to Philly. And I always wondered how much did we pay for that court? <laughs> I never knew how much we paid for that court, but that you was know, a really cool experience. That, you know, I posted a picture of the tractor trailer truck with that loaded in the back on LinkedIn probably a year ago. And it got so many likes and comments. It was unbelievable. You know, that was this, that was luck that we found that. Um, and it was in a barn in Hershey. And the guy was just like, he wanted it out of the old barn that was falling apart. Yeah. And I think we said something like, hey, we'll give you 10 grand and come get it. And he was like, really? <laughs> and I was like, and I'm thinking, I guess we're paying him too much. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, that 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 court that Will scored 100 points on, I mean, as, as you know, we made you know, eight by eight pieces. Yeah. Um, there's, there's one upstairs here in the game room framed, you know, and then we 
the two by two squares and gave them to all the fans, you know, attached to a card about Wilt. Um, that court was very special. And I think that's one of those creative, crazy things. It was just like somebody said, hey, I think I might know where the Wilt court is. And we weren't even thinking about the Wilt court at the time. But it was like, you think you might know where it is. You know, and we had no idea that it even existed. So when we sent you guys out there, you know, it was just based on one phone call with one guy. And it was like, hey, Chris, here's the check. Hope this guy shows up and there's a tractor trailer truck coming to get it. <laughs> oh, man, that was such a cool experience. I will, I will never forget that. And I remember Harvey Pollack talking about it, you know, because Harvey was, was the guy that wrote 100 on that famous picture that Will Chamberlain held up. He did. Uh, and man, that game day too, I remember because I worked the doors for the giveaways and we had all those volunteers that were giving out these pieces of Will Court. I remember we were featured on ESPN for it. There was such a buzz about that game. And I remember one of the fans, he got the piece of court and he, he looked at me and he was like, is this real? Are you really giving me a piece of the Wilt 100 point court? And the other guy said to him, I was like, no, are you kidding? There's no way they'd ever give that away. And I was like, yeah, no, it, it's real. It's real. And to this day, if you go to eBay, you can still find pieces of that court that are being sold. I, I think that's really cool. It's, 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 you know, that was, that was a long time ago. And it's still got legs today. You know, it was amazing. And that's a great example of a team effort. I mean, I didn't do that. You didn't do that. Jerry didn't do that. Harvey didn't. I mean, it was all of us. It's like somebody, and I remember somebody said, hey, I think this guy's got it. You know, I was making phone calls and sending you guys out there. You know, I, I learned very early in my career, especially in radio, um, did an amazing turnaround and had a dinner with my president and the CEO. And we had, you know, it, it was an amazing radio turnaround and it was a, a fabulous dinner, you know, to congratulate me. And, and I talked at length and it was very early in my career. And I kept saying, I did this, I did this, I did this. And then when the CEO went to the restroom, my team, my president, the radio president looked at me and he said, I, 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 you, you, you. And it was like, I went home that night and it's like, you know, I'm an introvert. So it was like, that really hit home with me. Mm -hmm. And so now I'm, I'm extremely sensitive to, it takes a team. You know, I might be the guy in charge, but it's like if Chris Mallon or Sheena Booker or Jerry Rizzo or anybody else has an amazing idea, let's do it. Right. And we do it as a team. And, and I see so many posts, especially on social media today, you know, on Twitter, LinkedIn, it's like, I did this, blah, 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 blah. And then when I read it, it's like, well, you have staff of like 30 people. So you really didn't do it. Everybody did it. Right. Yeah. So I may have, I may have the guy that's got this great idea about, Hey, here's the Wilt court. Yeah. Right. But somebody brought that idea to me. All I did was actuate that idea. And you and Jerry and everybody went and got it and brought it back. And then another company cut it up and yeah. glued, it to, glued it to the cardboard. So, you know, I just urge people to like, you know, you don't do anything on your own. It's like my success in sports is based on the phenomenal people that I've had the privilege to work with, including you Jerry Rizzo, Shayna Booker, 
Shana is amazing. Yeah, Shana is um, amazing. I, ju I just yeah. talked to her a couple of weeks ago. I actually called her for advice on, oh, nice. a, on a couple of sports situations um, but because she is amazing. Um, you know, I think it's, it's you build this network or this community of people that you work with and your employees and hire people you can trust and that you believe in. And you can always teach them skills, right? I mean, I don't think somebody coming into a new job in sports has to know all the skills. Their, their manager or their boss or whatever you want to call it just has to be smart enough to know, like, you know what? This is an amazing human being with great ethics, great work, smart, creative. And creative is very important, especially now with what's going on in sports. Yeah. And... I can teach them whatever else they need to learn, you know? And I think you're a great example of that Jerry Rizzo who came right out of college and now he's running, you know, digital and community relations for Panasonic. I mean, Jerry's a great example also. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then one of the other things I had here for you, cause I, you know, I, I prepare for these podcast interviews uh, is that um, one of the things too, and I think this doesn't get said enough, and it, it always it always bothered me when I worked in sports because I always wanted to work in sports for the longest time. I went to college, but then I got into sports and I was like, whoa, this is way different than what I learned in college. <laughs> Nobody told me any of this stuff. Uh, what are some things that you feel people should know about working in sports that they don't know? You know, I think it's because I never dreamed or wanted to work in sports. I sort of fell into it. But it's like, like, for example, I love the NFL. Like, that is my favorite sport of all time. Watching Sunday football, sitting on the couch, eating buffalo chicken dip, having a beer, you know, watching the 1 o'clock game, the 4 o'clock game. Like, I love that. Um, and my friends in sports have told me they never go to work for the NFL. And I said, why? And they're like, because you're not going to be sitting on the couch watching the NFL, eating your buffalo chicken dip, drinking a cold beer. You're going to be at the stadium working. And I, I think that's true for a lot of people. It's, it's, you know, you love sports, but do you want to work in sports? I mean, it's a lot of hours and you're probably going to start off at the bottom you know, most of the jobs are in ticket sales, um, particularly right now with the pandemic and, you know, college football is being canceled, you know, baseball is playing in a bubble and they have a lot of COVID issues. Um, <clears throat> you know, hockey's different, Every, everything's different now. Um, I mean, esports, you know, is that going to play out? Uh, it didn't do so well for NASCAR, but it might do well for other sports mm -hmm. so, so i think just to, you know evaluate your options and why do you really want to work in sports you know if you love the nfl you're going to be working on sundays you're not going to be watching on tv you know you may be sitting in an office um that said i love sports um i loved my time in sports um you know i would do it again um but just think about why do you love sports? Why do you want to work in sports? What are the attributes that draw you into sports? You know, and I think you're a good example. 
um, of that. Um, you worked in sports and now you work in outdoor um, and you were great in sports, but you're also great at what you do now. I hear from some of your bosses in South Florida um, <laughs> that I still keep in touch with. But I think about why do you want to, I mean, if you're just, if you just want to work in sports, so you got sports on your resume because it looks cool, yeah. that may not be the right reason, you know? Yeah, that, that is, that's very well said. Um, and I, I think that one of the things I would always hear people say is, well, I love sports. I want to work in sports. And I always thought that's the, that's the wrong answer. When I, when I started working in sports more, that's the wrong answer because it's not about loving sports. <laughs> it's about loving sports business. And exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And I, I think that that is, um, you know, that's an important process of it. And, and of course, you know, all the other things that go along with, you don't make as much money as you would think you would make. Uh, you'll make a lot more money not working in sports, but there are avenues in the sports world that a lot of people don't think of outside of teams where you can make some decent money. Uh, you just got to work your way in there. Um, but yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Um, so Mark, you know, we're running towards the end of our, our time here. Is there anything that I left out that, that you want to talk about? Is there anything else you want to mention? You know, I, I, I can't think of anything other than, I mean, sp sports is a great field to work in. It really is. I mean, I, I loved my time in sports. It's got the same challenges as a lot of other industries or a lot of other brands as marketers say. Um, but if your dream really is to work in sports, then go work in sports. Start out as an intern. I mean, ticket sales is normally the first way in because, you know, they have a ton of ticket sales guys or do an internship in marketing. You know, I think there are a lot of challenges in the years ahead for sports. And I think they're going to need people that think out of the box that throw ideas out there and don't be afraid to be shut down. You know, if you throw ideas out there. I mean, I've, I've thrown crazy ideas out there and been shut down. So for every successful idea that I've had, there's probably been 12 more that I threw out there that got shut down that we didn't do. Um, but just, you know, hang in there and, and keep pushing because I think there are a lot of obstacles facing sports in the next couple of years and they have to figure out ways to make revenue. Yeah. Uh I think you're absolutely right. And that's going to be an interesting challenge to see how they deal with this with COVID-19 and no fans in the stand stands because that is a huge revenue stream for them. Uh, it's going to affect a lot of jobs. It's going to affect a lot of jobs. No, it really is. And if the NFL is not playing on Sundays, I'm going to miss my Buffalo chicken dip and cold beers. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think that if that's going to be a tough road to hold for the NFL to play on Sundays. And I think they can do it without fans, but how do you do it with close player contact? Yeah. And I, I think with all the issues you're seeing right now with major league baseball, the MLB trying to get back to playing and teams testing positive, you know, it's, it's going to be tough. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, Mark, great having you on the show today. And I, oh, another thing I did want to say right before we get off here is that currently I, I know you're, you're helping out, you're working as a COVID-19 checker. So thank you for helping out our community by doing something like that. Cause I know that's a, that's, that's a tough job, uh, especially, you know, with everything that's going on in the world right now. 
So thank you for doing that. And certainly thank you for being part of the show today. I think that uh, your story is an incredible one. And it's the first time for the heart of the game that we've had uh, an executive for a pro sports team on the show. So, so very much enjoyed your insight and your stories. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Chris. That concludes our amazing interview with Mark Gullett. If you like listening to Heart of the Game, make sure you hit that subscribe button to check out all of the latest episodes as we interview professional athletes as well as executives across the world of sports as they share their unique stories of what it's like behind the scenes.